talk directly into the microphone. Yes. I always Get, forget to. Just rubbing all up on your face yeah, like that. Yeah, boy. There it is. <laughs> well, welcome to Super Duper Stitches. The paranormal podcast where we talk about sciencey stuff, but also, also scary kind of, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the point is we um, talk about paranormal stuff and also sciencey stuff. And, um, yeah. Spooky stuff, I guess. And spooky stuff as well, I suppose. I'm not happy with your levels. I, I feel I feel quiet. I feel hushed. Oh, now I feel good. Cool. Yeah, I guess, you know, I've felt kind of out of sorts today, I have to admit. I So, I went I, to work this morning really confused. Okay, I'm interested to hear this because I woke up at work. I know, it's, it's almost February now, right? I think so. Because so, I feel like we're missing a week or something. Oh, shit. Yeah, no, I totally feel that way too. I remember recording an episode, I think it was our second UFO alien, like the alien episode. Yeah, I remember recording that and then... ET um, life in the universe. And then it's just kind of blurry after that. I don't know, there's a lot of damage to my apartment. You see, there's just a lot of tarps up now. Yes. uh, (laughs) So I'm not really, I don't think I'm getting my deposit I thought this was just your style. (laughs) (laughs) You had a lot of tarps up before, so... (laughs) This is true. (laughs) Um, Um, But I'm sure it's fine. But, anyway, uh, I think we can still handle keep going forward with the podcast yeah, this as is, per usual. This is pretty much all I know now, so. <laughs> <laughs> if you have no idea what we're talking about, feel free to go back to episodes 13 and 14 and we yeah. have a big UFO extravaganza. Fill your goddamn selves in. Yeah. This week, we're going to be talking about some more cryptid kind of stuff. We're biologists. We like monsters. We love ourselves some cryptids. Before we do that, do you mind if I give you a real brief um, <gasps> update on not the Phantom of the Chicago? <sighs> That's um. So that is a um, these ongoing reports all throughout 2017 of giant flying bat humanoid humanoid bat creatures. Humanoid bat creatures, yeah. In Chicago. Right. Uh, with glowing red eyes. The phantom um, or phantoms of the Chicago. Yes. Tons of reports of those all throughout the year. I was going to keep re- updating us on those as more came out. There haven't been a lot lately. There's been a couple, but... They're hibernating. That's actually, does kind of seem that way based on it's how... It's spooky, isn't it, it actually? So, they were about. so active in the summertime, and then it really right. died down as it got cold. I'd be uh, interested to see... Which makes me go back to our original thought back way back in episode two when we first talked about this. Of yes, this being indeed. some actual animal being misidentified. Oh, man. So I'll keep you posted if more stuff comes out. If I get, it, I'll wait till I've kind of gotten a few under our belt. Yeah. And we can talk about it more. Um, and I'll be interested as you know spring comes, if anything else comes of it. See what um, else happens. Yeah, right. What I do have is an update on those weird humanoid <gasps> creatures. Oh, I'm, I am humanoid. honestly even more thrilled by that. So, so are those the, the, the weird four-legged, oh. lanky, creepy humanoid things? <sighs> yeah. Um, I just had a foot cramp <laughs> from intense, like, <laughs> cringing. <laughs> this is from uh, episode 10. I talked mm-hmm. about those. So been a couple of different reports of those since then. So this is a report on Reddit. Um, oh man, lay it on the, me. Uh, the subreddit Humanoid Encounters, where I found a couple of these cool things. And the post is by Steve the Writer Five, and um, <laughs> the the question is, can someone tell me what I saw? So he trying to keep himself kind of vague as far as not revealing who he is, but he's done a lot of different contracting work all across the country. All right. He said, uh, I met someone or something one hot July night at a rural park in the wrong part of Alabama that I'll never forget. (laughs) The crew consisted of about 15 guys. They would hire local labor whenever they went different places to do a lot of the um, the different work. And they would uh, frequently just kind of travel in a kind of a caravan of like um, 
that a truck that they had a lot of supplies in and stuff mm. and like a bus that a lot of them would just it often just sleep in the bus mm-hmm. and some other vehicles and they'd park in like um state parks or national parks and stuff wherever they could just to spend the night just as they're traveling just through. crashing as they go along yeah. and if they could they try and park within walking distance of a bar <laughs> for a long day oh can, yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> they did exactly that. They parked near a bar. They went to said bar, had a number of drinks, got pretty drunk, went back to, hmm. uh, went outside, they had a smoke or something. He noticed these three, what he thought were really weird tall men in a field across the street. Okay. This and, is down in Alabama, you said? Yes. Okay. And being just kind of generally friendly guy and being kind of drunk at the time, he <laughs> decided to wave to them. Right. And they all waved back. But in a really weird way where they lifted their left hand and tilted their head slightly, slowly waving their hands before they stopped, exactly in sync with each other. Uh, so they all kind of waved back. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so, yeah, he, he laughed it off, thought, you know, he's still pretty buzzed and didn't really think too much about it. Um, got on the bus and then, like, sat down, immediately fell asleep and then <laughs> woke up not long afterward being jostled awake by someone who was there with him. Um, okay. Co-worker. Say, so look out the window. He pointed out the window, and he could see the tops of the heads of these things running the length of the bus back and forth, just outside, just like running around the bus. What the fuck? Um, and so they watched really quietly for several minutes, just seeing them just like running back and forth really fast. And so then he kicked the guy across from him um, to wake him up, and just like really quietly said, "Look, look, don't say anything. Look." And they just watched this happening. Okay. After he said maybe two minutes before they finally decided to move, he pulled out uh, his thirty-eight from his backpack <laughs> and woke up the other two guys who were on the bus. And they all grabbed like different heavy tools and things, decided to go out to see what was happening. Like mm-hmm. after they saw the running kind of stop, and so they got outside and started trying to chase the things down. Why? And I don't. Well, they were drunk, and I guess that I was guess the main so. the main reason. Man. At one point, one of them he was getting close to one, and it ran a couple of feet into the tree line. He didn't follow it into the trees, which is a good move in this case. I yeah, feel like. like a quote. I can see his face clearly in the moonlight. Eyes bigger than anything I've ever seen and lips drawn back like he was showing off his teeth. I can still hear my guys yelling at the rear of the bus. I raised the revolver a bit, aimed to the left of him. No need to shoot a tweaker if they aren't trying to kill you. He wasn't sure if, if it was you know a person or not. Right. It still seemed kind of weird. Hmm. And, it, and it spoke the strangest string of sounds. And uh. it was this weird, just like odd sound but he said that it's um its body gyrated and contorted with each sound but his mouth didn't move what the fuck yeah and so then uh, so he shot down on the ground ahead of him and then the thing screeched like an animal's war cry it was almost deafening uh <laughs> and then it turned faster than any human could and disappeared into the woods uh-huh and he heard the other two things take off after it dashing into the thick brush mm-hmm. as soon as that happened they got the hell out of there but yeah so not quite matching the description of the other stories we've heard it's a little more a little creative yeah but this also supposed to have happened years and years ago so it definitely have time to accrue more details i suppose so yeah weird pale humanoids that move very very quickly right slightly friendly at a distance yes (laughs) and uh which yeah true of the the ranch and stuff honestly yeah that was actually strangely the most convincing of any detail of the whole story was that they would be kind of just inquisitive in a weird way watching and then getting Again, like kind of like same the same woman having them just right. kind of going around outside of her uh, house at night, looking in the right. windows and shrieking. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, uh, uh. so yeah, that's they're just like again. people. <laughs> <laughs> um, didn't the woman with the ranch weren't they also running like as fast as the horses too yes. or something? Yeah. So the super duper speed seems to be true in all these stories. Oh my god! We also have the name for our car review podcast now. Super duper speed. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think we just ended that podcast in one breath. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's creepy as hell. Oh my goodness. So well, now I think you have some uh, actually on topic creepy stuff to talk about. No, oh, well, you know, it's all on topic. And for you all today, I have a tale by S. D. Baker, Shannon D. Baker, which is the pen name of the person writing this account. And they bring for us today the Cowman of Copolis Beach. Cowman? The Cowman. Mm-hmm. Look forward to this. Yes. Just ahead of the story, which I'll be basically just reading, I just want to bring up the fact that I believe this guy is a writer, and I think that's an important point of consideration because you can take his account as either entirely a work of fiction, or if it is based on facts, maybe it is like an aggregate account that he's basing on numerous different tales that didn't all happen at once yeah or perhaps it is you know something very legit something that did happen to him or or the story doesn't exactly happen to him but it was recounted to him when he was a kid by his telling and it's since stayed with him throughout his life and he's now just applying his trade to convey this thing that has like stuck with him all these years and so i will jump right in lay it on me my dad worked in the timber industry his whole life his father was a logger and he grew up in and around the woods my dad started his own logging company when he was 18 and has owned and operated shake and shingle mills from oregon clear up to thorn bay alaska Hmm. he is an intelligent man and holds over a dozen patents for various pieces of equipment that he has designed and built over the years He's employed dozens of people over the years, all of them spending extensive time in the wilderness. When I was a boy, I remember hearing bits and pieces of conversations among some of the men at the mill. Although nobody would tell me directly, I understood that something had gone on before I was born, and it involved one of the foremen, John. They weren't joking around, they were genuinely afraid, and wouldn't talk about it with a kid. When I was young, my dad wouldn't tell me about it because I would often go into the woods cutting blocks with him on the weekends, and he didn't want me to be afraid of the woods. Should he be afraid of the woods? Yeah. (laughs) Son, I don't want you to be afraid, but you should be afraid. (laughs) I want you to know what dangers lurk out there. Yeah. (laughs) You'd be better off if it's a surprise. Yeah. (laughs) While I was speaking with him last weekend, I told him of strange events that happened to me later in the wilderness. And that reminded me of the hints at a story I had heard when I was a boy. After some prodding, he told me the following story. In the mid-1960s, my dad owned a large roofing product mill in Aberdeen, Washington. He had uh, teams of men that would cut the fallen old-growth cedar salvage left after a logging operation. He had permits to salvage a large amount of wood in the coastal areas of Grays Harbor County, primarily in the area around Copolis Beach. Several of the men on his cutting crews lived in and around Copolis Beach. His foreman, a man I will call John for the story, was a bright, down-to-earth hard worker. My dad trusted him with thousands of dollars of vehicles and equipment, as well as the safety of his crews. He was not the kind of man to make up stories. On a Monday morning sometime in July, John was several hours late for work. This was highly unusual, as he was always there early, getting the saws and trucks ready for the day. My dad said he was visibly shaken up, and when he asked him what was wrong, he asked my dad to go in the office so the others wouldn't hear them. They went in and sat down, and John simply said, something destroyed our house this weekend. My dad thought he said someone broke into the house, and asked John if it was someone he knew. 
John said, you don't understand. This wasn't a person. It was a, I don't know what it was, but it completely trashed the house. The family is going to stay with my brother in Elma for a while. Hmm. My dad asked him to explain what had happened. John said that when he got home from work Friday evening, his youngest son, Tim, who was around four at the time, told him he saw a big, quote, cow man walking at the edge of their field that afternoon. Well, it makes sense then that the, um, I was thinking that the cow man doesn't sound like a very intimidating name or anything, but if it's coming from a four-year-old, that kind of helps explain. <laughs> right. He thought the boy meant cowboy because some of his neighbors wore cowboy hats when they were out in the sun. He asked him if the man was wearing a cowboy hat, and the boy said, No, Daddy. He was a cowman, furry and stinky like the cows. He's just talking mad shit about his neighbor. (laughs) (laughs) He asked his wife if she knew what he was talking about, and she said Tim was playing on the porch that afternoon when he came running in and said the cowman was stuck on the fence. He was very excited, so she went out to see what he was talking about. She said as she opened the door, she was hit by a horrible smell, like wet dogs and garbage. Tim was pointing across to the field opposite their house and said, He got loose! She looked where he was gesturing and could see the top strand of barbed wire bouncing up and down, as if somebody had just pulled on it really hard and let go. Hmm. She didn't see the cow man and noticed nothing out of the ordinary except for the smell. She told Tim to come inside to play for the rest of the day. She felt uneasy and a little scared. Their older son, John Jr., who was 12 at the time, was at a friend's house and walked home a short while after Tim saw his, quote, cowman. He told her somebody had followed him home, walking in the woods off the right side of the road. He hadn't seen who it was, they never left the woods, but he said it had to be a really big man. He would hear large sticks cracking and the footsteps were very heavy. Once he got to the driveway of their house where the woods stopped at the field where his brother had his sighting, the footsteps stopped and John Jr. never saw anything. He was pretty shaken up by the event and wanted his dad to go out to the woods and check it out with him. This is creepy. <laughs> I like it a lot. I, it has some really a couple of really cool elements to it, and one of which is one that you don't really find with monster stories often. Usually it's more of a ghost story thing where the kid sees stuff first. Right. The kid's describing it. The kid's kind of excited about it. Everyone else is like, what is it he's yeah, talking about? I don't see anything. I see like maybe vague indications of what you were talking about son but there's nothing there now like what do you mean what a great build-up later that evening john strapped on his 357 and took his older son out into the field to have a look they first walked to the area where the quote cowman was supposedly stuck on the fence and walked down the fence line looking for anything they came upon a, a large clump of long reddish brown hair tangled in the top strand of barbed wire he tried to pull it off but it was really tangled up so he pulled out his buck knife and sawed it off. He said the hair was over a foot long, really coarse and stringy. There appeared to be a bit of flesh matted in the clump, and the top wire was pulled loose from one of the posts. Whatever was hung up on the fence was very big. He handed the hair to his son to hold, and they climbed through the fence and walked toward the woods. He said he was looking for any sign of tracks on the ground. The hair kind of looked like it was from a horse's mane or tail. The ground was a solid, grassy field, and there were no hoof prints or any other kind of tracks he could see. The edge of the woods began about 10 feet from the fence line, and they entered on a small game trail that deer frequented. It was around 8 at night, and in the woods it was getting to be fairly dark. They walked for a ways, and soon began to smell the rotting garbage slash wet dog odor his wife mm. had reported earlier. John said he got the feeling they were being watched. The hair on the back of his neck was standing up. 
He told his son they should head back before it got dark, and the boy didn't argue, naturally. Dad, why are we still out here? I kept begging yeah. you to go back. Dad, I've been in tears out of fear for the last, like, 20 minutes. <laughs> um, as they began walking back out, they could hear heavy footsteps off to their left. They stopped, and the footsteps stopped. Oh, no. They walked on nearly to the clearing, and John whispered to his son to run like hell to the house on the count of three. John Jr. nodded, and John whispered, one, two, three, and gave his son a push in the back to get him started, then spun (laughs) around. Pushed him right over. (laughs) Straight down on the ground. (laughs) Oh, God, Dad, what are you doing? (laughs) I'm trying to help you, oh, God. (laughs) Um, Gave his son a push in the back to get him started then spun around and raced off the trail in the opposite direction toward the footsteps with his gun drawn. I know this guy has some cojones. Off the trail, the underbrush was dense with ferns and bushes. He had a hard time making headway, but as he got closer, he could hear it moving away from him, deeper into the woods. At this time, he told my dad that he thought it was a vagrant camping out in the woods and possibly scoping houses to rob at night. Mm. John was a big man and capable of taking care of himself in most situations. And he had a large caliber handgun, so he wasn't too worried about confronting a vagrant. He was a few yards off the trail in deep brush when he heard the movement stop just ahead of him. He stopped to look and listen, and thought he saw movement by a large tree, like someone was trying to hide there. He leveled his gun and said, Come out nice and slow, or I swear to God I'll come back there and shoot you. There was silence for a moment, and then he caught movement out of the corner of his eye and spun around to his right for a better look. He said it looked like a huge bear moving through the brush. He could only see bits of it through the dense ferns, but it was moving quietly away from the tree on four legs. It was about 15 feet away from him. At first he thought it was a bear, and then suddenly he saw a huge hairy arm with a human-like hand reach out of the brush and grab a small alder tree. The tree was about four inches in diameter, and it grabbed hold about five feet up. He said it happened so fast it was a blur, but the thing pulled itself upright out of the brush by holding the tree. It stood on two legs, turned its upper body to glare at John. It was enormous. He couldn't believe how bulky it was. He said it was well over seven feet tall and at least half that big through the chest. It was too dark to make out any features, but its eyes seemed to glow a deep red, and he thought he could see teeth like it was curling its lips back. It stood for just a brief moment and then lunged ahead, pushing back on the tree with tremendous force. The tree snapped loudly and crashed into the trees around it, getting hung up in the branches and not falling to the ground. It then disappeared into the deep brush with frightening speed, sounding like a bulldozer with no engine noises. John stood there in shock, his gun temporarily forgotten, and then he realized it was heading back toward the house, Oh shit! the way his son had gone. He turned and ran to the trail, hoping to gain ground on it and cut it off before it reached the clearing. He hit the trail and ran as fast as he could toward the clearing, all the while hearing the creature thrash through the brush on his side. He burst into the clearing and looked frantically about for his son. John Jr. was standing just inside of the fenced field waiting for his dad. John screamed at him to run to the house. Then he saw the thing crash out of the woods about 50 feet to his left. It crossed the 10-foot clearing and stepped over the fence in two strides and was running through the field parallel to his son in a matter of seconds. Oh, God, no. John John screamed at his son to run faster and took aim at the creature. He didn't fire because he was afraid to hit his son or his house, so he vaulted over the fence and ran in pursuit of them. 
He could see it angling toward his son and knew there was no way his boy would make it to the gate before it cut him off. In desperation, he pointed the gun to the ground at his side and fired as he ran, hoping to scare it. It veered more sharply toward his son (laughs) and put on an enormous burst of speed. Jesus. He heard his boys scream as they seemed to collide. He saw the creature dip its shoulder down a little bit, and suddenly John Jr. was airborne. Oh, my God. He flew about 10 feet and hit the ground rolling. The creature never paused. It continued to run at an amazing speed in a loop back toward the woods. Once the line of fire was clear, John stopped and squeezed off the remaining five rounds at the retreating creature. He was pretty sure all of the shots went wild. The creature never made a sound or slowed down and was soon over the fence and back into the woods. He reached his son, who was shaken up but not physically hurt. He asked his dad if it was a bear. Apparently, little John was so busy running for the house he didn't see the creature running after him. He said something big and black suddenly ran into him and he felt a huge paw hit his bottom and he said he felt like he was falling. So I guess actually in this case, it is better to not know what it is that's coming for you. God, can you imagine <laughs> turning and seeing that? I'd just be like, <laughs> yeah. my, you just see my skeleton jump out of my skin. <laughs> I didn't think it was possible. <laughs> John pulled his son to his feet and they ran through the gate in and into the house, locking the door behind him. They were both out of breath and white as ghosts. His wife was screaming at him, demanding to know what the gunshots were for and if they were all right. When he could catch his breath, he told her to make sure the back door was locked. He was going to call the sheriff. He went to the phone and began to dial the number. This was before 911, then stopped and wondered what exactly he was going to say. It was back when it was like 15 digits. (laughs) Yeah. It's the longest number in the book. He hung up the phone, realizing what an idiot he would look like if he told the sheriff the boogeyman just chased them out of the woods. He told his wife that it was a large animal, possibly a bear. He didn't know how to begin to tell her their four-year-old was right. His cowman was real and it was more frightening than he could have imagined. He told them all to keep the doors locked and stay away from the windows. Around 10 o'clock that night, both boys were in bed and John and his wife sat down to watch the news. They soon heard a loud moaning cry, Mm -hmm. kind of like the siren on a volunteer fire department truck, I guess. It would stretch out for a long time, then end with a whoop-whoop sound. It was coming from the woods opposite the house. His wife asked, what the hell is that? And John answered truthfully, that is Tim's cowman. He then described to her the full details of what had happened, and she immediately wanted to call the sheriff. It's like, why have you waited all this time to say something so horrible yeah, Exactly. It's like, honey, honey, it's fine. <laughs> he persuaded her that they would sound crazy and that he would handle it himself. She reluctantly agreed and told him she didn't want either of the kids to go outside until this thing was gone. The howling went on until around midnight when it got quiet again. John wanted to stay up through the night and watch over the house, but he had a long day at work and the excitement earlier had worn him out. They went to bed around one in the morning and had no further problems that night. All right. They slept in that morning and the boys were already up and watching cartoons when they got out of bed. The first thing little John said was that he had heard the bear rubbing against the house last night. Oh, no. He said he was too scared to get up and tell his parents and fell back asleep soon after. I'm really scared, but I'm also really tired. Yeah. I was going to sleep through it. (laughs) That would never happen to me. (laughs) I'd be like, I'm going to be awake for the next 15 years. (laughs) Then Tim said, the cowman talks funny. This stopped John cold. He asked his son, "Uh, when did you talk to the cowman? Tim replied, Last night, in my room, John asked, The cowman was in your room? No, Daddy. 
He's too big for my room. He talked to my window. Oh my god. What did the cowman say, Tim? He talks funny. I don't know what he said. He talks like, ooh, ah, ah, ooh, Tim said, and started to make strange monkey-like noises. Did the cowman try to get in your window? John asked, breaking out in a cold sweat. He's too big for that. He made funny faces. He's got Lincoln Log teeth, Tim said with a smile. (laughs) Tim's totally into it, by the way. Tim's an idiot. Yeah, Tim. His survival instincts are busted, yeah. (laughs) Um, John later learned Tim meant it had square teeth that looked the same size as the small blocks in a Lincoln Log set, which you youngins out there, I don't even know if they make Lincoln Logs anymore. I don't think they do. I don't know. That's a damn shame if if not. Little wooden construction toys yeah you make little log cabins such as the one in which lincoln was supposedly born assassinated (laughs) (laughs) it apparently spent quite a while quote talking and making faces outside the boy's window tim said it laid down talking a very elaborate plan for like a heist into the house (laughs) yeah it was just like hey kid open the window (laughs) (laughs) i am just a tweaker out here (laughs) tim said it laid down and went to sleep outside and he could hear it snoring John walked to his younger son's room and cautiously peered out the window. No sleeping cow, man. John told the boys to get dressed. They were going to visit their uncle and Elma for the day. After his wife and kids left, he called one of the men from his crew and asked him to come over. I'll call him Patrick. He was an ex-state patrolman, and my dad said he was kicked off the force because of his drinking problem. Mm -hmm. He was a good worker and never got drunk before dark. So John figured they would have most of the day to look for this thing. Because apparently when night falls, Patrick is... Definitely drunk. Yeah. Get away from me! <laughs> it's happening again! <laughs> He's just aware drunk. Oh, God, no! When Patrick arrived, John greeted him at the door and said, Are you up for some hunting? Seeing how it was not hunting season, Patrick told him he didn't poach. and didn't even want to know about it if John did. John told him it wasn't deer he was after, and went on to explain the previous night's events. Sorry. Patrick didn't really believe him, but could see he was sincere and still shook up. John had his pistol and a bolt-action 30-06. Patrick had a 38 in his car, and John loaned him a 12-gauge. They first circled the house, looking for any signs of a nocturnal visitor. At the back of the house, there was a spigot for the garden hose, and it always leaked. There was a patch of ground worn bare of grass underneath it, and it had turned to mud. In the center of the mud, there was a huge, clear imprint of what looked like a bare human foot. John said it was at least 18 inches long and very wide. Hmm. It was so clear that he got the feeling it was left there on purpose. They found no other prints around the house, and in places in the field and woods where a track could be made, the creature seemed to avoid them. Off to the side of the track in the mud were four straight lines about eight inches long. He said it looked like someone had raked their fingers through the mud. When they circled around the side of the house and got to Tim's window, they saw what it was for. Above the top of the window, a good seven feet up, were four muddy streaks, and on the window itself were dozens of large, muddy fingerprints. Mm -hmm. The glass wasn't cracked or broken, just smeared with mud. By this time, Patrick was fast becoming convinced something strange had indeed happened the night before. Before going out into the woods, John wanted to feed the family's pigs. They had two of them, apparently fairly young, weighing around 40 pounds each. The pig pen was about 100 yards away from the house, behind an old barn. As they got closer, John became concerned because they couldn't hear them making any noise. Usually, they squealed like crazy when they knew food was near at hand. But this morning, it was completely silent. 
They rounded the corner of the, and the pen was empty. No sign of damage or struggle. The pigs were just gone. They searched the barn but found nothing out of place, so they decided to hit the woods to try to kill this thing. They entered on the same trail John and John Jr. had used the day before. John so showed Patrick the broken fence wire and told him again about the hare. It was a bright summer morning, and John was surprised at the difference from the previous evening. The night before had been still and silent. Now the woods were alive with birds and small animals. He showed Patrick the broken tree, and they followed the creature's trail and found several more trees and large branches, twisted and broken. They could see large, faint impressions of footprints where the ground was soft. They followed the deer trail further into the woods and encountered nothing unusual. By noon, they were both getting hungry, so they hiked back to the house for lunch. They spent the rest of the day poking around, but saw nothing more out of the ordinary. Hmm. Just before dark that night, his wife and kids drove up. He and Patrick were sitting on the porch with the guns, watching the woods. His wife asked if they had seen anything. John told her about the footprint and the mud on the window. Patrick had retrieved a pint of booze from his car <laughs> and was well on his way to getting smashed. John decided he didn't want a frightened drunk with a gun around his family, so he suggested Patrick go, uh, could go home. Nothing was going to happen anyway. Now that you started drinking, why don't you drive back home? Yeah, <laughs> get in that car and drive, Patrick. Patrick agreed and drove off. <laughs> um, and John continued to watch the woods. His wife brought out a plate of food and a Coleman lantern and a flashlight. He told her he would stay out, out there and watch the house through the night. Before they went to bed, he went into their bedroom and with help from his wife, pushed the king-size bed as far from the windows as they could. They agreed that his wife and kids would all sleep in that bed for the night and he would keep watch around the house. She had grown up hunting and knew how to handle a gun as good as anyone. So she insisted on keeping the shotgun in the room with them. He agreed after making her promise to ask for a name before shooting anything. <laughs> if it replied, John, please don't shoot it. <laughs> there was a full moon that night, and John could see across the field and into the inky dark of the woods. The night air was filled with the sound of thousands of crickets. The pond behind the house was full of croaking frogs. As the moon rose higher, clumps of weeds in the field began casting sinister shadows, and before long, John was seeing big, hairy creatures sneaking up on him in each of them. He stood up and lit a cigarette, trying to shake the fear and concentrate on the task at hand. As he smoked, he wandered to the end of the porch and stood looking at the darkened barn. Something was different, but he couldn't quite place it. The front of the barn facing the house was open, and the moonlight was hitting it from the side, casting the interior in deep shadows. He stood watching the black opening as he finished his smoke, thinking about the missing pigs. He then realized what was wrong. All the crickets and frogs had gone silent. Uh-oh. It was as quiet as the inside of a mausoleum. He could hear the minute, shrill buzz of his own nervous system. <laughs> I think this is SD's edition. <laughs> um, I, I like to imagine that John actually told this story to I SD's I could hear dad. the minute, shrill buzz of my <laughs> nervous system. <laughs> His dad's like... I'm remembering every single fucking detail. <laughs> I know exactly what that feels like. Yeah. <laughs> um, as he turned to walk back to his chair, he thought he saw movement in the barn. Hmm. He looked intently at the opening and could make out nothing, then turned his head a bit to the side and saw what looked like two red eyes hovering about eight feet off the ground. Ugh. He couldn't see them if he looked right at them, but when he averted his eyes a little, they became clear. I like that detail. 
because yeah we do have better low light vision out of the sides of our yeah our, our peripheral awesome. they were a deep burning coal red mm. almost invisible in the dark every few seconds they would disappear when the creature blinked his heart began thudding in his chest and he waited for it to leave the barn and approach the house he slowly backed up to his chair never looking away and picked up his 30-06 he walked back to the end of the porch and watched and waited he stood looking at the blinking red eyes for what seemed like hours and then the eyes blinked out and never came back oh god he watched intently but could see no movement he thought for a moment then grabbed the flashlight and shined it at the barn the flashlight was too small to penetrate the darkness of the barn from this distance he had to get closer uh. he was none too keen about leaving the relative safety of the porch and confronting a glowing eyed monster in his <laughs> barn but he was damned if he was going to live in fear in his own house. I have to keep reminding myself that I know that the entire family survives the story. So, <laughs> because he goes into work the next day. Yeah, he's like, eh. they fucked up my house. Yeah, all my family got killed last night. <laughs> That's why I'm late today. <laughs> um, he left the porch and began slowly working his way toward the barn, taking his time, building up his courage. He got closer and could still see no movement. It had gone further into the dark. He got within 20 feet of the opening, and his flashlight would now penetrate the gloom in the barn. He moved the feeble beam of light over the contents of the barn, an old tractor and an old pickup, boxes and buckets. Too many places for something to hide, even something big. He cautiously walked closer, now shining the flashlight down the barrel of his rifle. He stopped at the entrance and shined the light all over, searching the corners and under the vehicles. He stepped into the barn, every sense straining for a sound or movement. He walked around the pickup, tensing for a huge hairy arm to reach out and grab him at any second. He made his way clear to the rear of the barn without seeing anything, and slowly turned around to leave. He felt both relieved not to have encountered it in the dark barn, and frightened and somewhat confused about where it could have gone. As he was walking out, he glanced at the wide stairs leading up into the hayloft and froze. He knew with complete certainty that it had climbed those stairs and was waiting for him to walk out under the hayloft and jump down upon him. He couldn't move. He was literally frozen in fear. He swore he could hear the floorboards softly creak above him as an enormous weight edged stealthily closer to the edge. He stood with his heart pounding in his ears, unable to move or act. Suddenly, there was a booming explosion of a shotgun from the house, followed by his wife screaming. His paralysis broke and he bolted out of the barn toward the house, completely forgetting what might have been in the hayloft. As he ran toward the house, he heard an inhuman roar coming from the woods behind the home. It sounded pissed off and in pain. It screamed again and he heard branches breaking as it plowed through the forest, thankfully away from the house. He got to the house and almost knocked down the front door in his hurry to get inside. He ran down the hall to their room and found his family huddled together on the bed, sobbing. One of the windows was blown out, and his wife was still pointing the shotgun at it. When he burst into the room, she swung the gun in his direction and screamed, and, um, and screamed, and he hit the floor. He waited for the blast, but it didn't come. He slowly stood up, and she had put the gun down, and he went to the bed. He asked her what had happened, but she was too shook up to answer just then. Tim started crying. Why did you shoot the cowman, Mommy? Why? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Tim. <laughs> John Jr. had his face buried against her shoulder, crying. After they calmed down a bit, he told them to get up and follow him. He led them to the, li- to the living room, then went out uh, the open front door and looked carefully around. He could see no sign of it, 
all was quiet again. He told them to come out and get in the car. They ran out in their pajamas and piled in the car. He got in and drove them to his brother's house in Elma. On the way there, they had calmed down enough to to tell him what had happened. She said a couple hours after they went to bed, she finally dozed off. She was awakened by Tim talking to someone. And this Uh, bizarre clicking... Yeah, fucking Tim. And this bizarre clicking, chirping sound. Tim wasn't in the bed. He was standing in front of one of the windows. The moonlight was shining through both windows, illuminating the room pretty well. But there was a large shadow, like a tree, obscuring the window in front of Tim. She knew there were no trees close enough to cast a shadow. She told Tim to get away from the window. Mommy, listen, the cowman can sound like a bird, Tim said, pointing excitedly at the dark figure in the window. Timmy, get away from the window, (laughs) she said, trying to keep her voice quiet. Right after she spoke, the noises from outside changed. It went from a soft chirping to a strange gibbering, almost like human speech with an occasional pig-like snort thrown in. At this time, Little John woke up and said, What is that? rather loudly. This seemed to incite the creature, and it hit the side of the house with its fists hard enough for the walls to tremble. At this, Little John screamed, and Tim yelled, Quiet, you're going to scare him away! She yelled at Tim to get away from the window again, and reached up on the uh, headboard and grabbed the shotgun. She got out of bed and started toward Tim, and the creature leaned down and looked straight in the window at her. <laughs> she screamed and raised the shotgun, afraid to shoot because her son was so close to it. She started forward to grab Tim, and there was an explosion of breaking glass. A gigantic hairy arm reached through the window toward her son. She screamed again and fired over Tim's head, blowing out the rest of the window and hitting the creature with double ot buckshot? It jerked backwards out of the window and disappeared into the dark. A few seconds later, she heard it screaming in the woods. It was trying to get Tim. It was trying to get my baby. She started crying again, and he comforted her as best he could while driving. It's okay, honey. Tim definitely had a coming yeah. at this point. <laughs> we should have just let it take him. We'd be better off. <laughs> <laughs> they stayed the rest of that night and the following night with his brother's family. He told his brother about it, but could see he didn't really believe him. He agreed to ride back to John's house with him early Monday morning before work. They had left the front door open in their haste to leave, and he was afraid animals or vandals would have got into the house. When they arrived, the house looked like a tornado had gone through it. The couch was upside down. They had a large, heavy console TV, and it was apparently thrown across the room, lying in a spray of broken glass. The kitchen was thrashed, the refrigerator knocked over, and food everywhere. The doors to both of the boys' rooms were left closed, and the rooms were untouched, same as the bathroom. The master bedroom was torn apart, the pillows ripped up and feathers everywhere. The chest of drawers was knocked over, and the large mirror smashed. John's brother looked around in awe and said, You better call the police. John looked at him and said, And tell them what? Bigfoot destroyed my house? (laughs) They left and closed the front door this time and drove to my dad's mill in Aberdeen. John's brother waited in the car while John went in and told the story to my dad. After he was done, my dad said, Well, let's go have a look at it then. They drove back out to the house, and John showed my dad the damage. He pulled the clump of hair from his shirt pocket and let my dad look at it. As they were walking through the house surveying the damage, my dad pointed out cracks in the ceiling where it had apparently stood up and hit its head. John told my dad that they couldn't live there anymore, even if the creature was gone, that they would always be afraid. Their homeowner's insurance wouldn't cover the damage. The adjuster claimed John must have been in a drunken rage, or done it in a drunken drunken rage. Hmm. My dad helped them find a place in Aberdeen and gave him a loan for new furniture and stuff. 
the house was eventually fixed up and sold, and my dad never heard about another problem there. A few observations about this story. This is S.D. Baker's own sort of post-tale. Post cool. Um, a few observations about this story. My dad lost contact with, quote, John and his family in the mid-'80s. They moved out of state, and my dad hasn't heard from them since. His brother died around the same time. Why didn't they call the cops? John had a lot of pride as well as a lot of common sense. He knew he couldn't logically explain what had happened to the authorities, and he didn't want the story to get out and have him branded a nutcase. I asked my dad if they saved the hair. He and John never mentioned it again, and my dad never asked him about it. I asked my dad if he saw the footprint and muddy fingerprints. He said he did. He said it looked like a giant barefoot man had stepped very carefully in the center of the mud. He's not a tracker, but he said it was the clearest print of any kind he had seen. Hmm. I also asked him if he thought it was possible John had made it all up, that he had trashed his house in a drunken rage and made up this elaborate cover story. My dad said John and his family were terrified of that place. They didn't even want to go back and get their clothes. If it was just an elaborate story, what did he stand to gain? To profit from a story in any way, you have to share it with people. Yeah, if you're trying to keep it secret, then that's not really the right. purpose entirely. My dad and the other folks mentioned in the story are the only ones who ever heard it until now, of course. He also said that whatever trashed that house was no man. The TV had to have weighed close to 200 pounds, and it was obviously thrown across the room with great force. Mm -hmm. He said that even after two days, there was still a wild animal smell in the house. I asked him if uh, he thought there might have been two creatures involved, considering the incident in the barn. He said he asked John that same question and was told that John felt there was only one, that it had lured him out into the barn and then snuck out the side door to the house. The thing he thought he heard in the hayloft was either his imagination or some common animal, like a mm, raccoon. Yeah. For whatever reason, this critter seemed focused on their four-year-old son. Their son was the only one who never showed any fear of it. Four-year-old are dumb. Because, <laughs> yeah, take a message, four-year-olds are dumb. He seemed to think of it as a friend. And although the sex of the animal was never determined, it was referred to as a male because of the predatory stalking type behavior. That and the conspicuous lack of breasts, or perhaps it was just not as well endowed as the Patterson film subject. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, its behavior se almost seems indicative of a mother that has lost her little Bigfoot and is looking for a replacement. I rather facetiously asked my dad if little... Timmy was a particularly hairy child, perhaps suffering from that rare condition that causes uncontrollable hair growth all over the body. <laughs> he said Timmy was a normal little boy with normal brown hair on his normal head. I didn't ask if Timmy regularly reeked of riding garbage and wet dogs. <laughs> didn't seem a polite course for the conversation to take. <laughs> this oh, guy. Like yeah, he's all right. Silly dude is what SD stands for. <laughs> um... He told me of other possible Bigfoot encounters he and his crews had in the woods around Gray's Harbor. None of them are quite as titillating as the cowman story, but interesting nonetheless. Perhaps I'll share them if there's an interest. So, in the end, I was left with no leads to follow, no new evidence of anything, but I did come away with a pretty damn good story. I would have to agree. So That's a damn good story. A damn good story. I, I feel the same way. It's one of my very favorites, and I, I as much as... It could be a tall tale. There are enough little details and, yeah. and features in it, and his own sort of scrutiny of his own retelling yeah. is so convincing to me, as well as... I mean, it's either he is taking a lot of pains to... Make it sound more realistic. Make it sound more realistic, even to the extent of it being like an account that you're retelling. Like It's like a three layers removed account, yeah, yeah. you know? So he's either doing a great job, or, you know, could be... 
yeah some crazy shit happened um i also you know as i was reading that it did occur to me i could maybe play a little soundbite of what is purported to be sasquatch vocalizations uh yeah go ahead it'll happen at some point okay i guess we can just cut around yeah oh oh god It's so fucking creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. If I were in the woods and I heard that. Shit. So. Yeah, no thanks. (laughs) Do not want. And I can get into the audio analysis aspects of that on another episode, I suppose. But I think I'm sure we'll come back to that kind of stuff. My my pet favorite. But like, I like that the description of it being like a fire engine or um, something like that is so appropriate too. Yeah. You know, to hear something like this. And the the description of its noises, it's like a gibbering with clicking and whistling and all this kind of stuff is also right in line with other purported recordings. So again, maybe I'll do like a sasquatch audio sasquatch sounds uh special at some yeah, point trying to do some kind of like weird animal sounds or something. Yeah, yeah totally but that's uh yeah no i like that a lot i think there like you said there's enough cool stuff in it that makes it seem kind of pretty plausible right this is also a great example of something where i genuinely don't care if the entire thing is 100 percent made up right it's a great story it's a fun story yeah. right oh my goodness <laughs> oh. Make, i was thinking of especially when we got to the barn part like this would be a really good movie oh my god dude i know oh fuck you just like a short film Right, but like, yeah, really just good. so spooky. Holy shit! Um, so, not a good suspense stuff. So, yeah, I, that's really interesting. And as far as explaining what could it be, like, it sounds. It doesn't seem like it could be a bear because <sighs> of the amount of vendetta involved. I have to show you a video real quick. Okay. Right, the bear thing. So this is my final uh, pitch for purported Sasquatchness. Okay. There is a reported footage of a sasquatch running from russia okay running away from russia running away from russia (laughs) towards sarah palin's house um i don't need the sound for this one the sound is just the people filming it going like oh my god i think okay but let me see if you yeah let me get all up so you remember the description the description of his uh yeah there you go so we can get this going here watch closely closely. (laughs) then a team fortress 2 font so they're like they've been alerted to something so they bust Mm. out their camera they're kind of looking at this stand of trees they know it's over there somewhere and they're looking around oh he sees it it's back there now it's gonna pop pop over here i think i see the movement you're talking about yeah watch how it moves when it comes out see that okay oh isn't that crazy now watch it's gonna do a jump here and its arms go out they're so fucking huge wow. right isn't that fucking weird dude that so that's cool because so many of the different sasquatch sighting type things look like you know a oh person. fuck i didn't catch that part it keeps Jumps. going wait back up oh, whoa this is it. a longer cut than i saw before oh so that's, oh, that's the same that's one, the same one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it's the cool yeah. So, so so many of the different Sasquatch videos look like a person walking. Right. So much. This They're much is, more humanoid. This. Okay. So oh, okay. There it is in the back. Yeah. It keeps on going. This looks so much more like, you know, most of the apes, like an the ape. great apes we know of, like gorillas and stuff. Right. Like it, it's it's got the really long arms. Right. And it 
its gait is a lot like you'd expect an actual ape to be like, where it's it is kind of for it know, uses using, all of it, yeah. using all of its limbs to move, and not just walking around, right? Looking over its shoulder back at the camera or anything like that. It's just, huh? I actually haven't watched it this far in. Oh my wow. god! It's like it looks muscular too. Yeah, from what you can make out of it. Look at that jump! If this, I don't know how to. So, I mean, we've discussed this before in the very first episode that I, in general, don't believe in Sasquatch. Right. But I can't explain that away. If that's a hoax, it's so elaborate and so well done. I actually only just saw this video last week, and I was like, "Holy fuck! How did I not see this in 2015 when that's it came great. out?" But it's crazy, right? And I, yeah. I like to. Um, that the people filming it don't the second they see it bolt i feel like in a lot of hoax videos they're like oh, something's there and you get like just enough time to see there was like a brown lump and then they're like yeah. oh running away Whereas, oh. you know you think of people in general if you only do that if it's like chasing you if it's something you, if, weird you, if see, you can people, avoid it everyone stay still yeah everyone's reaction when they see something weird is to stare for a while unless it's actually coming at right. them what the like, fuck am i looking reactions at are always way too slow for like the self-preservation aspect it was like always like oh i'll get my phone out let's see what this thing is and just right. watch right like uh so that seems like a pretty genuine reaction oh i like that a lot that's cool right yeah, so, so we'll link well, to, th- 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 yeah. yeah we'll link to the star we'll link to the sound we'll link to this video yep very cool bingo well thank you for sharing with you are quite welcome i was excited for this one well you had your cow man and was that did you say that was in washington state washington right? state yeah cool. uh copolis beach maybe it's capolis i'm not sure the pronunciation Whatever. what the fuck ever but it's right there up on the coast it really is like cool. right up on the edge i can maybe throw up a map too sure if we want but uh um, yeah anyway so you had a, a um yeah the cow man from the west coast right. i have a different kind of man from the midwest Ooh. so this initial story comes actually from a song by a dj named steve cook okay the song is entitled the legend 97 uh and i'll link to the song hmm. i'll be lightly paraphrasing his lyrics here in this initial story mostly just to avoid rhyming the whole time i recount it <laughs> but yeah mm-hmm. these words here belong to steve cook Alrighty. In 1887, in Wexford County, Michigan, 11 lumberjacks were camped near the Garland Swamp and found an animal that they thought was a dog. In a playful mood, they chased it around until it ran inside of a hollow log and out of sight. One of them grabbed a stick and poked around inside uh, to get the dog to come back out. At this point, the thing they thought had been a dog let out an unearthly scream, came out of the log, and stood upright on its hind legs. Whoa. They didn't really talk at all about what happened after that. They just packed up and got the hell out of there and never went back or spoke of the encounter any further. Ten years later, in 1897, a farmer near Buckley was found dead in his field. He was slumped over his plow, apparently dead from cardiac arrest. There were dog tracks all around him. Hmm. Uh, Seven years passed. With the turn of the century, supposedly an old widow had a dream a recurring dream of dogs that circled her house at night. Hmm. They would walk on their hind legs like men and scream in a really horrible way. Yuck. Gross. Uh, yeah. In 1917, a sheriff came across a driverless wagon on a dirt road. There were tracks in the dust nearby that gave the impression, no pun intended, uh, that <laughs> a pack of wolves had been stalking the wagon. Right. Just off the road, the whole four-horse team was dead on the ground with wide-open eyes. Uh, when the vet finished up his examination, he said it looked like they had all died of fright. Yikes. In 1957, a preacher found claw marks on the door of his church. It was an old church. 
Hmm. Uh, the newspaper said they'd been made by a dog. Hmm. If so, based on the location of the claw marks and other damage to the wood, the dog would have had to have been about seven foot four. Oh, shit. In 1967, a van load of hippies uh, told a park <laughs> ranger they'd been woken up in the middle of the night by a scratching sound at their window. They looked to see what was causing the sound. Just outside the glass was a dog man looking in and grinning. Ugh. In 1977, there were reports of screams in the night near the village of Bel Air. All right. Uh, it could have been nothing in particular, but the screams didn't sound right. It didn't sound like an, your average critter. Right. And nobody dared to go out and investigate. Then in the summer of 87, that same awful screaming happened again, this time at a cabin in the woods near Luther. Okay. In the morning, it looked as though someone had maybe attempted to break in. There were cuts around the doors that looked like marks from claws and teeth and big sharp ones at that. Hmm. There were no human footprints outside, just tracks suggesting a perpetrator that walked on two paws. Hmm. So concludes the stories recounted in the song itself. The song came out in 1997 and ended after that with the suggestion that the coming summer would again be a time to fear because the report seemed to follow a 10-year pattern. Damn. So every yeah, 1897, uh, 1887 was the first and then every 10 years all the way up until when the song came out in 1997. Uh, this was the beginning of the hype around the Michigan Dog Man. Oh, shit. I hope you have a report from last year. That'd be dope. Oh, let me get yeah, into some more. Yeah, so yeah. This C- is like, carry on, yeah, carry so on. The, uh, the hype around this was supposed to be okay. <laughs> in, oh, my God. The hype around this was supposed to be that in yeah, 1997, um, there was going to be more. This came out in spring of 97, specifically okay. April. So oh. More specifically, April 1st. Uh-huh. So the thing about the song, it was written, recorded, and released by Steve Cook as an April Fool's joke. He found Damn a handful of different legends and things from different traditions around the area and stuff and cobbled them together and invented a backstory of recurring reports in Michigan of this horrible bunch of creatures that walked upright like humans but were otherwise canine-like. Right. Um, and as an aside, concocting a paranormal story that is believable and terrifying as your idea of a joke <laughs> mm-hmm. is something I'm 100% behind. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> totally, mm. totally can get behind that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you have The War of the Worlds as probably the prime example. Quite so. But yeah, just <laughs> if your idea of funny is to make something really scary and believable. <laughs> Go for it. Yes. Um, but yeah, instead of people being like, oh, fun story, or, whoa, where did that come from? The song instead <laughs> had two results. A shitload of people wanting to hear the song again and or buy it, and a whole bunch of freaked out people calling in to ask about the dog man, hmm. because they had seen it too. <gasps> oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. They're like, holy fuck, this guy was kidding, but... Yeah, so this starts out seeming like it fits the same kind of narrative as the story of the rake from back in episode six. Sure. In that case, there was a story created from whole cloth about something creepy, mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of fake subsequent accounts seeming to corroborate it, and then a bunch of real people believing they had encountered the same entity. Right. Here you have a standalone story, the song, right. um, that includes a century's worth of made-up accounts that create a whole legend of something, and then a bunch of people saying they'd already seen it and wanting to know more. Oh, man. The difference is that with the rake, the most likely explanation is sleep paralysis and night terrors and the like. Right. Meaning that suggestibility can play a huge role since the entire phenomenon is based in one's imagination. Sure. So you hear about the rake. You're primed up. Yeah. And then you see the thing you've been reading up on because the image is so clear in your mind already. Right. So you're having this awful experience separate from that. And then, you know, the story just kind of creeps into it. Right. Here, people saw something. Then heard an account on the radio and thought, holy shit, that's actually a thing? I thought I was the only one who saw it. I have to find out more. Oh, man. So when they heard Cook's song, they assumed 
he was like retelling a local legend that they hadn't heard about and like wait wait i'm i saw something that's part of this whole longer story i didn't know about yeah like how cool is that now yeah. i have like a place i can actually like share this and not feel like a crazy person and he had no idea this was going to happen so um to his credit cook used a variety of existing and thus quote-unquote real folklore 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 traditions <laughs> to make his story uh-huh. and even more to his credit he donated all profits from sales of the song to a local animal shelter oh that's cool pretty cool I donated to one shelter for a while, and then eventually someone um, brought to his attention a different shelter that had either just opened up or something, Or, um, but they were a no-kill shelter that mm. specialized in uh, lost causes and like taking Aww. care of them, especially trying to find them from other shelters that were going to have to euthanize them and taking those in immediately, like top priority, and still finding cool. them like, a, a good home and stuff. So he said, now all profits go to that place instead. Good, good guy. Yeah, so he was just trying to make a fun joke, ended up being something totally different. In the end, all money went that? to help actual dogs, which is kind of fun. That is uh, fun. And cats and other whatever shit. Yeah, all those garbage pets. But uh, yeah, he used some real folklore from different traditions and stuff and combined it all into this one sort of you know tapestry of uh, of different, or quilt, what's what I look for, of uh, a mosaic, <laughs> if you will. Uh, terracotta structure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in that case, thus, is it possible that Cook created a fake legend that accidentally independently matched other folklore to the area. <laughs> How cool is that? I yeah. like this so much. Um, so just really interesting. There are a bunch of accounts out there now. And I think Cook still gets calls and stuff from people describing sightings like all the time. Like he's, <laughs> he's the lawn strickler of dogmen. <laughs> yes, pretty much. <laughs> I, think, I don't know if he's still active on the radio as far as he was a radio DJ. He's like, oh, here's another song I'm going to play next. And it was just, yeah, his... Mm-hmm. The legend ninety seven. Does he have song. a website called Dogmans and Music? <laughs> I don't believe so. Uh, <laughs> we are, by the way, if you were listening for the first time, uh, Lon Strickler is the curator of phantomsandmonsters dot com. Thank you. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's where I've been finding most of the um, the Chicago phantom stories from. But he, he covers a lot of different stuff. But he is kind of uh, like the uh, what does he get? He's got he's got a book on the Chicago phantom now. Yes, um, Mothman Dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! But in this case, Cook just um. Because he was the one who released the song and stuff, he's kind of the point guy. People are like, oh, wait, you're the expert? He's like, I guess I am. Yeah, right. Apparently. Now, because so many people have gone to him now, and he kind of just takes note of what the, people say. The de facto dog man, dog <laughs> man. <laughs> yes. So there are a bunch of accounts out there. What's interesting about this story now is that it's kind of somewhere between like full-blown, long-term legend like Sasquatch, where sure. it's something that's been just steeped in all these different cultures for millennia maybe right right and something purely urban legendy like the rake sure where it's like something that was made up it straddles that line yeah, yeah it's it's somewhere in between where you have something that was 100 percent made up right um and then a bunch of accounts of people who had already seen it before they heard the story right right and being really creeped out by that so this yeah the song came out in 1997 so for for time's sake i'll only focus on a couple of these stories and i'll start with don't, a story don't rush from, too much though i'm totally into it i mean there's there's enough of them that it would be and we don't want to have a four gotcha. hour episode i wanted so. to say to you though real quick that um the few accounts you've already given or like you know descriptors i would have attributed it maybe to some kind of gigantopithic scene type critter but the dog tracks is what yeah. really breaks it down for me because i'm like otherwise all that the scratching the trying to break into a thing the it sounds more like the your posture yeah yeah thing. exactly but here it's like 
Oh yeah, no, the people and then people saying that they've seen something that looks like a an upright dog, often describing it looking like you know your ster- your stereotypical Hollywood werewolf kind of thing. Right, right. But in these cases, it's not something that's ever like the werewolf legends are all based on. I think they're European in in, uh, in origin. Mm, uh, maybe so. That, but um, the yeah, idea not of, uh, of yeah, lycanthropy, the condition of turning into a wolf around the full moon and stuff and <laughs> a lot of different iterations on that right. and, and things but uh and yeah a lot of different versions of it too where the person either turns into just an entire wolf right from a human and so like oh indistinguishable <laughs> from a normal wolf he's a whole entire wolf <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to the kind of in between like right. wolf man kind the of creature. humanoid wolf yeah yeah right and so this is the more of the latter it's a, right yeah looking like a humanoid wolf and there's no reports of it you know turning into a person or or vice versa or right. of you know the idea of a, a bite causing you to turn yeah into, it's think, not contagious or yeah, like exactly. a curse or something right right so it's just this weird creature right um so the first story i'll talk about is from reed city in 1993 okie doke so where's, where's reed is that also in michigan yes okay. uh, the area around reed city michigan has been a hotbed of dogman activity this is all quote this quoting here i'll link to this article uh, this report details an event that occurred nearly 20 years ago. So I guess this is an older article because, yeah, it's, it's more than 20 years ago now. So 1973-ish uh, or no, prior? Is, sorry, 1990 happened in 1990. But if it happened so 20 years prior to that. 20 years before this was posted. So this was probably posted in 2013 oh, or less. I um, see now. <laughs> um, but the witness remembers it like it was yesterday and is unshakable in her story. <laughs> uh-huh. Her name is Courtney and her encounter took place during the winter of 1993 and 1994. Fucking Courtney. No, fucking Timmy. He's, yeah, he's it's fucking, true. Courtney is just seen We don't even know she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> was she four at the time? Courtney was a teenager at the time. All right, all right. And was sneaking cigarettes behind her parents' home near Todd Lake, northeast of Reed City. The sun was setting on a clear, cold winter day. Courtney was facing a large, abandoned barn on the property next door. This is a quote from her. The barn had always kind of spooked me. It was filled with rusty old equipment. The other planks were all rotted, uh, rotted, and it sagged and leaned in every direction. My dad said to stay away, as the whole thing could collapse. On that evening, I was standing about 50 feet from the barn and saw sunlight coming through the gaps in the siding. Hmm. Courtney took her eyes off the barn for a few minutes, then something caught her attention again. Also, I was thinking the whole time you were talking about the barn and your story. Yeah, like, right. Oh, I have a barn in my story. <laughs> barn bros. <laughs> uh, there was some movement. The light flickered, but I couldn't really tell what it was. Then it turned its head back and looked straight at me. Oh, God it was at least damn. six feet tall, if not more. It was dark colored. It had a dog-like appearance. Pointy nose and really big pointy ears. Ooh. Courtney dashed into her house to grab a flashlight. When she returned outside, she shined it toward the barn door, but the animal was no longer there. She walked closer to the barn to look for tracks in the heavy snow. Why the fuck would you get anywhere near that? <laughs> I know. She's like, oh, I saw a giant dog thing look straight at me. I gotta go see. Yeah, uh, for she real. she didn't see any tracks, she realized the creature might still be inside and then ran back to the safety of her house. Right. So she thought it had left. She's like, oh, I'll see if it walked out. And she's like, right. it didn't walk out. Oh, shit, it's still there. Oh, my God. I uh, would never run fast yeah, in my so life. She ran back to the safety of the house and she never saw the creature again. She later talked to a neighbor who had seen something. Quote, the size of a buffalo, but the shape of a dog. Oh, shit. In the same barn a few months before Courtney's encounter. Oh, fuck. Uh, the neighbor said she had been so frightened she was near hysterics for days. Her father had taken his gun and searched the barn, but found nothing there. At the time of these events, neither of the girls had heard of the legend song and did not know about the Michigan Dogman legend until years later. Hmm. This is going to say the legend song didn't come out for four more years, so of course they hadn't heard it, but... um. 
yeah, so this happened before the song came out, so they weren't primed by the song to think, oh, this might be there's a monster out there. Right, right. Saw this thing, which is kind of fun and creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, Very much so. Now, there's another one I wanted to find, too, that had a photo accompanying it um, in Benden in 2007. No fucking way. This sighting report is told secondhand by the brother-in-law of the witness, so we're getting more <laughs> stories <laughs> kind of several times removed yeah sure witness is a prominent person in local government and wishes to remain anonymous okay this is a quote from him situation started last saturday night around midnight when he was coming home from a friend's house in benzonia and taking the back way home to traverse city he stated that while traveling down cinder road several miles outside the town of benden he observed a pair of eyes reflecting off his headlights ahead of him thinking that it was probably a deer alongside of the road he began to slow down as he got closer however he stated that the object was much larger and much darker than a deer. Oh. He said that by this time, he had slowed to around 30 miles per hour and was at that point several hundred feet from the creature, which still hadn't moved. As he approached further, he stated that the only way he could describe the creature was being similar to a very large, dark wolf. Fuck. However, he observed that this thing wasn't on four legs, but was upright on his back two legs, standing near a road-killed deer. He estimated that the creature stood a little over six feet tall and had very dark fur. Uh, he stated Ugh. that by now he was going slow enough to bring his truck to a stop in the road and observe the creature which had not yet moved and was still staring at him. He told me that for a brief second he believed that the object was a giant stuffed animal put there as some kind of joke due to the fact that he had never seen anything like this oh, in his life. That is so fucking scary. Yeah, I know. But he was able to drive up on it as close as he was without it having moved an inch. This is why he thought yeah, it must have been just a stuffed right. animal. He told me, however, that uh, before he could finish that thought, the creature then dropped to all four legs and sprinted across the road and disappeared into the woods on the other side of the roadway. Ugh. That's such a believable detail that you would be like, oh, this is just like some weird thing. Like, yeah, because I, I can't think of a specific example, but I know there have been times where I've seen something like, well, this doesn't seem real just because it's weird. And then it's like, oh, wait, what, what's going what on? What did I just see? <laughs> yeah. when, you're, when you're seeing something you're not prepared to see, you don't really process it that quickly. Right, like, exactly. Um, he told me that he stayed frozen in his seat for a minute, wondering in the middle of the road of what the heck had just happened. I jokingly asked him if he had been drinking that night, and with a deadly serious face, he stated, no. Whatever that was, it was for real. Fuck, man. As perplexed as he was that night for what he had seen, it was he was deathly afraid to go wandering into the woods to investigate further. So at least he has a more um, reasonable approach than a lot of people have had Ugh. how to handle it. Yeah, really. He said that in using a flashlight, he observed animal tracks leading into the woods on the opposite side of the road and was fortunate enough that night to have his digital camera with him. Mm. He showed me a photograph of the paw print, which he said appeared to be about seven or eight inches long. What the? He had another picture of the same paw print where he placed a shotgun shell in the middle of it for scale. So let me show you that photo. Hmm. It's pretty low res. Um, I'll, if I can find a higher res version, I'll post the link to that instead. Sure. Here's the paw print Whoa. with a shotgun shell in the middle. Yeah, it's pretty big. Gigantic. And it does look like a dog print, not a yes, bear you got print. The, you got the pad, you got the four little Damn. toes. Holy shit. So, yeah. Uh, he told me that he was lucky that he uh, was that the side of the road was so soft because he wasn't willing to go any further than two or three steps away from the door of his truck to get a picture. Right. I inquired if the animal had made any sounds before it disappeared, and he said that he did not hear it make any noise. If it were not for the picture, he would have thought that he had imagined the whole thing. Asked him if you could have if it could have been a bear, and he stated absolutely not. Mm-hmm. He bear hunts every year in the Upper Peninsula, so he obviously knows what bears look like up close. Mm-hmm. That's his story. Believe it if you like. If I didn't know him as well as I do and hadn't seen the pictures, I would have said that he was out of his mind. 
I've heard the song and know some of the stories, but I always believed it was just for entertainment value. After this happened, though, I'm looking at all of this under a whole new light. I will say for both that story and the one I told, and really any sort of account like that where it's like a secondhand or thirdhand story. Yeah. It does, if it is like a, a made-up tale, I'm just realizing how much it, it lends a credence because it's basically subtly saying, I was sold. I, the narrator, was yes. sold on this. So I've already given you a, like an N of one of someone who's convinced of this story enough yeah, to retell yeah. it. You know what I mean? Rather than being like, guys, guys, I saw Listen this crazy me. You gotta shit. Believe me. It's like, you gotta believe me. It's like, here's like, something that I thought was crazy, I've but already I believed it. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind of a cool little psychological sleight of hand in a weird yeah. way so it definitely could be just a manipulative tactic to make it seem more believable but still it's still interesting. i yeah i don't say that to discredit the tale i just no, think it's, it's an interesting yeah, thing yeah i do like that this is a couple of different photos at the bottom from different accounts here's one from the upper peninsula Ooh. so the fun thing about a lot of these is that they are so this one looks like it could just be a bear just standing it upright it does look a, a bit bear like and it's got weird. the length of a bear as yeah, well so it yeah. could just be a bear the fun thing about a lot of these is that um well not fun but the annoying thing about a lot of these <laughs> Is that a lot of them are it's the opposite um, meaning <laughs> because of where this whole legend sits between full on fiction and potentially real encounters. Right, there are a lot of just creepy pasta stories people are making and trying to make it seem real. There are photos that are clearly photoshopped and things. Right, um, I do want to refer specifically to something I think you may be familiar with, which is the Gable film. Yes, I, yes, I would like to watch it again if you have it pulled sure. up though. We'll post a link to this. It's about three and a quarter minutes long. We're going to skip ahead to the good part. Um, yeah, right. It's uh, So supposedly there was an estate sale and an old film was found in a box. Then after reviewing it, it was some kind of strange, it was a home video and then a strange attack was discovered on it. So basically it's just a video of... Um, sort of random shots here. of like... It's, so yeah, we'll we'll look at it a little bit. So there's... um. Let me yeah. go to YouTube here so we can get it full screen. I did like their little black background, though. Yeah, so we got someone snow, yeah, so we got snowmobiling. Yeah, the film is very crackly looking. So it's it's pretty standard um, home video stuff. Just a bunch of unedited shots of random shit, just people right. doing stuff. There's uh, someone's dog. So eventually, um, yeah, if you want to actually see stuff, you want to cut ahead to almost three minutes Ooh, into this thing. I think you've even passed the part where the thing shows up. Well, it's it's, uh, it's they, in the distance they notice, first. Yeah, they first notice that they're um, driving, and they see something in the distance, and they're not sure what it was. They stop. Right. We see moving. something moving, a big thump something. And this is meant to be, it's like Super 8 quality video right. or something. It's very low res and stuff. So they get out of the truck. They slow down the get out of the truck to go see what the thing is. They're looking around and stuff. They're walking out to this opening. Yeah. Um, we still can't really tell what they're looking for. Yeah, we don't know. It's just something happened. And then... Uh, See something is is out oh, there. So there's this weird all of a sudden thing on all fours. It's just staring down, and then it starts to lunge forward and run. And then uh, suddenly the person starts like running away. It's a lot of shaky camera as they're running, and then at the last second, suddenly there is this shot of uh, a dog's mouth that you can see the inside of a jaws of a dog, kind of a thing. Right. And then the camera just the on sort the of ground, beast mouth, yeah. And it ends. So it's like, oh, some kind of weird attack happened. Right. Now, there It's are, very spooky. Yes. My initial thought, before I knew this was a since-revealed hoax. Right. This is a, a certified it is hoax. It is certifiably hoax. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I mean, my first thought when I was watching it, when I, I was like, okay, they went a little too heavy on the film grain effect. That film grain to effect. To make it look... To, like, uh, to, to their credit, they nailed it with the 
you know, inconsequential. Yes, because so footage. many of these videos, like you were describing, it's like someone. It's too framed. Like, oh look, there's something there. Like, 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 right. It's, the thing it's pops too, up in the first like five seconds. Yeah, this is um, it's not too much length that it's like you're gonna get bored before right. something happens. There's a payoff to it for sure, but it's very real looking home video in terms of what's happening. It's like oh, just shooting right. each other, just doing stuff, and right? Riding a snowmobile. Um, I think they could have sold it better if they hadn't gone for quite such old looking film. That for like they sure. Added, they what, they overdid the film effect. And then when it comes to the actual creature itself, when you see it, looks to me more like a healing coup that gets too angry. It's, um, <laughs> it looks, it's just very shaggy and, um, it does, and it starts it moving. it's very limber when it starts it's moving. Very bear like. It's not bear like and also kind of like, like a Rasta bear of some kind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think in the reveal of it being a hoax, they revealed that it was in fact uh, a guy in a ghillie suit. Ah, uh, for that. And then, but uh, so ghillie. Yeah, so the first, the first things that I noticed, yeah, the the film grain being a little, laying it on a little too thick. Right. And then the dog mouth, like seeing the inside of the jaws of the dog at the last, like the, yeah. the quick cut of that. I was like, I, I think my thought was, oh, that's cute. It <laughs> is. It. it creeped me out the first time I saw it's it, but I'm yeah, a repeat view. When you don't know what's coming, it's creepy. When I knew, okay, this is going to be a dogman thing, and it's in a, in a state sale, so probably it's going right. to be some weird, like there's no, you, like, yeah. oh, it's not someone bringing you their footage of this is what I found. Again, um, it's that kind of haunting secondhand factor. Yes, yes. But I, yeah, I would definitely invite everyone to, uh, if you do want to follow that link, watch it as though... You know, give them the benefit of the doubt first, just to enjoy it for yeah, the, enjoy it for how it's put together for they the did thing. A good it is job for making it seem pretty authentic. They've since done like freeze frame breakdowns as they do with any kind of purported true video, and like when you see the freeze frames of the mouth, it does look like fake as fuck. It's yeah. just super, <laughs> you know, Holly, uh, Hollywood shop, <laughs> Halloween store type, yeah, party store shit, but still fun. Um, yeah, so very much so. Very that's like much the so. Most notable footage of the dog, supposedly of the dog man. That but image though was crazy. That footprint. Oh my god. I like the footprint. So we'll definitely link to that. Yeah, it looks huge, and it's the kind of thing where it's like, okay, someone could have made that, but you see all like the different uh, fake Sasquatch footprints. Yeah, true. This is like to get the shape just right to look like a dog print right. is a little bit harder than to get like a rough kind of um footish shape you yeah. can make that yourself and just fucking not to say that they couldn't have done this too like it's not that hard to fake sure really anything but it's just it's yeah, a little it's, it's just interesting because it's a little more it's a more unique kind of thing to have done yeah it um is. fun creepy stuff and apparently a lot of sightings still ongoing so a whole different kind of monster man mm-hmm. out there for you almost definitely the michigan dog man i'm missing that dog man <laughs> So there are some uh, some different kinds of, um, you know, upright walking weird animal creatures for you. Some creepy crips. Creepy crips. <laughs> <laughs> Next week we'll do bloods. <laughs> so thanks for joining us again. Thank you very week. much. Please, um, you know, if you've enjoyed the show to this date or if you've just tuned in now and enjoy this episode, please uh, do like and subscribe and review us on all the media outlets. I think we're pretty much on everything, SoundCloud, Everywhere iTunes. we can be, yeah. And if you have your own spooky story or one you, if you have one of some, that someone else has told you you want to tell us secondhand like all of these, yes, indeed. feel free to email us, we contact are v- at superduperstitious.com or uh, write to us on Facebook, send us a message on Instagram or like, tweet at us as P- superduperstitch, whatever you want to do, we yeah, want to hear from you. Please do, yeah. We're really psyched to hear your stories, Um, you know, give us something else to talk about. And, uh, and if nothing else, we've been asking for stories for way too many episodes in a row and heard nothing. We, we're kind of sounding desperate now. Yeah, guys, so. please send in your stories. Oh, God. <laughs>
You know what? Don't send your stories. Yeah, we don't even want to hear them anymore. Take your stories and just fucking shove them. Yeah. And you know where. (laughs) Right onto our desk so we can read them on the show. (laughs) Um, But yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning in. And uh, we'll we'll catch you next week. Yeah, see you guys next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.